So I want to welcome you back from Thanksgiving holidays. Just take our Bibles and we're going to um, look one more time at this same passage we've looked at so far a number of times. This will be our final night to look at it. Um, I don't promise that though. Um, just like, well, I won't say anything about that. Um, if I were to entitle, no, actually I did give tonight's lesson a title. The other ones just have part one, part two, part three. The title for tonight is Yeah But. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> I have attempted to share with you what I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 2 through, um, what is it, 16 is telling us, which is quite different than what we're used to. And it's so different, I wanted to give you an opportunity to say, Eddie, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, but, and I've got four yeah, buts actually. Um, and two of them, three of them, four of them, all four of them actually have been ones that you all have, have asked me about. And so, so this is your chance. Now, I'm not saying you, you don't have to. Some of you choose to send me emails, that's okay, or to come up to me after class. And I'm always thinking, oh, that was such a good thought, a good comment. Um, don't worry about what people are going to think about you. Um, we won't think too poorly of you if you disagree with me. But um, that's... Sorry? Negative looks don't. Yeah, I'll, well, I'm not trying not to give too many negative looks. So let me, let me start with a prayer and then we'll, we'll jump in here. Father, we love you so much and we thank you that you just didn't create us and drop us down here and leave us to figure out what we're supposed to do. But you are very much, very involved in guiding us and leading us. And one of, the, one of those ways you guide us and lead us in a very powerful, very direct and very nourishing way is through your word. And we always want to be looking back to your word and and seeking to discover what your will is for our lives and what your will is for our church and to be reevaluating uh, who we are and what we believe and how we live and repenting in whatever ways are necessary to make the proper adjustments to always be living out the truths that you've given us. Thank you for scripture and we pray that tonight you'll continue to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> and so... Um, the purpose, the purpose of this series, the purpose of this class is, is to look back at, at the theme of, uh, as you know, is, uh, the theme of women's role. I've called this, this series uh, The Sound of Silence because there's a couple of passages that speak about that. What does that mean? What does the silence mean? So that's our, we'll be looking at that in, in our next classes after we finish this passage tonight. But we have some new folks who've been coming to church here and, and it's a little bit different than the church we're used to go to and some of the things we do aren't the same things you did there. And like, well, I like it here, but I'm not sure about that or this or that, especially in the assembly. And we care about that. We care about you. Um, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this. It may seem to some people, this is so tedious and so stupid. What are you talking about that for? We really care about people. We care about their feelings. We care about their questions. We care about their concerns. And secondly, we care about God's word and what God's word has to say. And we want to, as I was praying, we want to really always be restoring our lives and our church back to what we see in Scripture and reevaluating. And so those, those things are important to us. We're not just going to flow with the trends of the current trends of the day or just say, like it or leave it. Um, so that, that's important to us. And, and I think it's fair. I think it's fair for us to, to answer to you and to others. Um, how can we 
at Eastside justify what we do in our Sunday morning assemblies as far especially as it relates to women and their involvement in our assembly when when the scripture is pretty clear that it says women should remain silent in the churches they're not allowed to speak well, that's that's pretty much pretty clear there isn't it a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over man she must be quiet i mean how do we justify what we do here because it seems like we're violating that but the key is the key is is, is i think i think we owe it to you guys to answer to answer that how do how do we justify that do we um and so we're looking at three primary passages, but not only these, because they're springboards. If you've seen, they've led us in many other places. They've led us to places that, to me, are some really significant truths. I think there's a truth tonight that we hold to that's not even biblical that we're going to bring up. That, that, that's, it's part of this topic. But I, I believe that our two problematic or questionable passages, 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, those are the two ones where you, how do we justify what we do considering what they say. But before we go to those, we've been looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is kind of one of these chapters where I'm going, why did we not see this before? David Hollis is here. Look at there. Welcome. Good to have you. Um, why did we not see this before? Or... Um, how, how did we miss this? Or maybe we did see it before. Maybe we didn't miss it. It's just that, oh, wait a minute. That doesn't fit what we're already doing. So let's ignore, let's ignore it or let's reinterpret it. I have a really hard time, though, looking here at this passage and, and thinking, well, wait a minute. We need to rethink this. In, in this passage, there, there's a, in the Churches of Christ, one of the, if you're familiar with him, his name is Carol Osborne. He's a, one of our church theologians uh, here in the States. Um, he has a book. As a matter of fact, you were trying to give me the book, Carl. That was Carl Osborne's, yeah. Carol Osborne's book. Yeah. One, yeah. yeah, it's something like, it's got a really original title. It's called, it's called Re- Women in the Church is his title. <laughs> um, Reclaiming the Ideal, I think is the name of it. And in his book, he, he writes of what we're looking at right now. One of the most, this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16, he says is one of the most important texts in the New Testament regarding women in early Christianity. And I was glad to read that because he's a brilliant guy. And I thought, man, I feel like we've been spending too much time here. But, but I agree with him. If, if This is really important. And once you kind of get this, then it helps you understand the re- a, lo- a lot of the rest, at least. And so, not going to reread it. We've done that already, I think, actually three times. I'm going to read pieces of it as, as we work our way through it tonight. But we saw here, and we talked about our first time we went to this passage, that we identified the problem in the church. And it's really not complicated. The problem in the church is that there were women in prof- praying and prophesying. That was the problem. The problem is that there are women praying and prophesying without their, their heads covered. And so there's just a fact established. In the early church, there were women who were praying. There were women, like words coming out of their mouths to God. There were women who were, of course, that could be questionable. Is it just private prayers or not? We'll talk about that. And there were women who were, were prophesying. And in the first century church, and it, and, it, and, and it was gifted by God, and they were encouraged to do this by God. And so we left 1 Corinthians and went all over the place identifying and defining prophecy and looking at women who were 
served in that function as prophetesses. And we saw in Scripture that, women, that for a woman, if we looked at prophecy, this means that women were speaking to others. And, and we did not see men, women only. It was men and women. Women were used by God to speak to men and women. <laughs> Messages from God. This is in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament. It didn't stop under the Old Covenant. It was in the church. And the purpose of that, and I'm not, even, I'm not saying here's what I think it means. It says it in Scripture. The purpose of these of these women speaking prophecies was for the strengthening, encouragement, comfort, and edification of the church. That's what it says. And so, I think, why do we not see that? And that scares you because, oh no, where are we going next with that? Uh, I don't think we need to be scared as long as we go to Scripture. Um, so the problem here, as we look at Paul's correction of the problem, the problem wasn't that they were speaking. He doesn't tell them to stop. He doesn't say, you women in the church need to stop praying. You know you're not supposed to be. You women in the church should stop prophesying and speaking these messages of God because you're not supposed to be doing that. He says, if you're going to do it, this is how to do it. If you're going to do it, you need to do it appropriately. Okay, so then the appropriate way, what is that? And he says you need to wear a head covering. And that's where I personally believe we're moving into something that's rather cultural. Um, but you need, to wear, you need to wear a head covering. And his reason for that, there's multiple reasons. As a matter of fact, if, if you have been looking at this passage, you're going to walk away tonight going, we left out so much. And we did because I want to move on. Um, not unless you ask me about some of these things. I'm ready for that if you do. But the, he says that you need to wear a head covering because here's the principle. Here's, here's the reason behind that. I want you to realize, verse 3, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Therefore, you need to wear head coverings. And so that's kind of foreign to us, that whole that all that is well somewhat is um so we, we we talked about this idea what does it mean god is the head of christ christ is the head of man man is the head of woman How, what do we understand that to mean and we went we went for a while on that um and there are there are different interpretations of that but from what i personally see and this is my personal con- understanding and interpretation of it from what i see in the um the Greek lexicon definitions of this word head, and as I see how it's used in the larger context of the Bible, there, and there are scholars that disagree with me, and, and, I'm, and uh, that would say, no, that's not necessarily it. There's some that would say yes, some that would say no, so it's, this is not like everybody agrees with this. I, I believe it's speaking about some divine order of God that he's established, that I believe that carries all the way back to creation. There's, there's God, there's the Father, there's Christ, there's man, and there's woman, and there's some type of order that's established there. Um, there's some other explanations that that's what I see, and I believe something in relationship to authority is built into that. I believe we see that in this, in this definition of the use of head and in, and in the larger context of that usage and in the relationships of men and women in Christ and God in other passages. The, the, you see constantly the themes of submission and authority all throughout Scripture there. So I believe that's at play here. So I, 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 we looked at that and we talked a lot about that. And so the veil, the veil in the first century was... Um, a cultural sign 
of a recognition of that order. It was a cultural sign of their acceptance of this divine order of God's of our relationships and, and this authoritative structure within those relationships. And to not wear the veil was to, be, to disregard that and to disrespect that. That was certainly in the Jewish culture. It's questionable in the Greco-Roman world, in the church, religious world. Um, now, some will say they, they, they were supposed to keep their heads covered because prostitutes in, in Corinth were, kept their heads uncovered because... They want to be attractive and show themselves. But he doesn't say, keep your covering on because prostitutes don't do that. He didn't say that, but that might be there. But that's not really, he doesn't appeal to that here. Um, but that is an interesting point. And so they're called to wear that veil. If you're going to pray, pray or if you're going to prophesy, you can speak. But you need to do so in such a way that shows respect and regard to, to the relational order and roles of men and women and God and Christ and even somewhere the angels fit into that he says by not and by wearing the veil you um, do that so you don't have to agree with me about the head and authority and submission and the veil and everything but you have to agree with the fact that there were people women praying and prophesying in the church because that's what it says and he doesn't tell them to stop he tells them how to that's just really clear um yeah, you can disagree with that. I shouldn't say that, but that's, that's going to be a harder disagreement. Um, now, the question is, is, is it the assembly? We're going to talk about that some tonight. I want to say this, though, one other thought before we get into our, our, our yeah buts or a couple other thoughts. I can't help but think that there is what's called, you want to look at when you're looking at Scripture to interpret Scripture, what's called flow of thought. Uh, while Paul is going, I'm talking about this, now I'm talking about this, I'm talking about this, often one thought flows into the other. And it's quite interesting to me that I can't help but wonder if this issue of gender issues of men and women in the church, if that's, there wasn't a principle here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that was kind of flowing into this other area as well. Of, um, let's, let's see a similar problem in, in, in the previous chapter. There, were just, there seemed to be people in the church of Corinth that just really much were like, I don't care what everybody thinks, I'm going to do what I want. There was this freedom feeling. There was this, and they were, they were kind of hooking that on. I'm free in Christ. And in, in, in chapter 10, it was like, I can eat meat offered to idols. And if you don't like it, that's not, not my problem. That's yours. And they weren't concerned or respectful of how their behavior impacted others. And so there was this believer's freedom. In verse 23, he, he, Paul nails it really well. I have the right to do anything. I have the right to do anything. Paul says, you say this. And Paul says, well, you know, okay, you do have this freedom. And, and yeah, okay, that meat is okay but to eat. But you're not an island to yourself. Your actions should seek the good of others. You should, you should really think about others and take others into consideration and show respect and regard for them. And so after, I believe, saying that, he moves straight into this issue of women coming in the church, I'm not wearing a veil. Galatians tells me we're all one here. We're all equal. And you wonder, and a lot of writers say, it seems as though there was in the Roman world this women's lib movement that was going on, breaking free. 
And it was seeping evidently, some church historians will tell you, into the church. And so you've got these women in the, in the, with the same mentality with the meat offered to idols issue. I don't care what people think. I'm free. And they're walking in the church and I'll dress as I like. I'm, that's, you know, if, and I hear that in our day and time, women that dress very modestly and you say something to them, it's not their problem, it's yours. You're the one that's got the problem. Well, the truth is, so the truth is, what you wear, the way we behave, it impacts others, and we should care about that. We should care about that. Um, that's one of the reasons why we're having this class. Is we care about how our assemblies impact you. Um, so you get this feeling there was this contentious spirit, these liberated uh, feminist women, and I don't want to slam the feminist movement. I'm free to do what I please. I don't have to wear a head covering. And... That was freaking out some members of the church to whom that was important. But also, it, it was just violating and showing a disrespect and disregard for, for our relational roles in this order that God has established. Um, so, so that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 11. And we talked about last time, how does that relate to us? Because we don't wear veils today. Uh, and honestly, we struggle to have any dress distinctions <laughs> between men and women. I mean, there sometimes from behind, you're not sure, is that a man or woman? We dress so much the same. What are our cultural distinctions that are respectful that we need to regard? Um, Benita, you had your hand waving. Uh, um, I think it's very important to keep those two things together, that women were praying and prophesying, and there was the order of the headship because I think what it's saying it may not be a physical thing but it is extraordinarily important that the attitude of, of honoring those roles be be there when women do the prophesying and praying right I think, I think, I, I think they belong together that re, re, the rebellious attitude is yeah we've got to say it's here today yeah, and it was big time in Ephesus in First Timothy two. We're going to see that there were just there was some attitude, there was some bossy women in the church. We don't recognize that's not happening today. We're not being okay. So that's the point of relevance. Yeah, yes, Richard. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so sorry. Um, oh, you said so much. I, I think Benita said, "Don't let me put words in your mouth." Um, everything Eddie you said was just right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, that both of these go together. There's this, yes, women were speaking, they were praying, they were prophesying, but there is also that recognition and need to understand but this authoritative structure that need to be in place and that should be in place is more than physical uh, and it ne that needs to be demonstrated when we're together and not have a rebellious, prideful spirit. Today. Today. And, 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 and you, she believes, she sees that at work. I agree with her, too, in, in relationships today. Um, Jeff? Can you be under authority and be equal? Can I have a job with an employer and I'm equal to that employer? Of course I can. So can, so can you be under authority and be equal? You have, and Benita said, I have a boss and I work for that boss. We're equal, but we have two different roles and I submit to the boss's role. What's your point? Or I couldn't hear. Right. So, 
And just as, and that, that's what First Corinthians, that's this verse 3 says, whatever God and Christ and their relationship is, Christ to God, that's what, that's what this passage is calling women to be. Whatever it is, it's whatever Christ is, you're living out Christ in your relationship. So that's a beautiful thing. But there's not a matter of equality. There was equality there. So this is not about equality and value and worth, period. It's about function. Um, and, and there's distinctions between men and women. My, one of my easiest examples of that, nobody ever said this is the way you do it, Eddie. But when we're in bed at night and there's a, there's a sound downstairs, um, I don't nudge Karen to go down there. <laughs> we don't even say, what should we do? I just, there's, there's something built in me that gets up and goes down there uh, because I'm the guy. I maybe, maybe, maybe culture's taught me that, but, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm, uh, we're not equal. That just means I'm a guy, she's a girl. There's a difference. I think First Peter makes a, first Peter? So, yeah, makes a really strong point about that. Um, but I think it was a rhetorical question. There, so so you, there can be authoritative structure and equality maintained at the same time. That's your point. So there can be differences and distinctions and roles, but still equality. That's my problem with the terms complementarian and egalitarianism. We haven't talked about that. Probably should. It's because the very word egalitarianism, if I understand the etymology of that word, it has built into it equal. And so, and so if I don't believe in egalitarianism, as most would define it, then I'm complementarian. I don't believe men and women are equal. That's not true. I believe they are. And I said that all very fast. Huh? Right, Galatians 3. Right, right. So, um, so, so, if this is true, women can speak in here. They can pray in here. They can speak messages of God in here. If, 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 if I'm understanding this correctly, but there's a way in which they do it that crosses a line culturally that says, no, that's not right. So when is that? In our culture, can you tell the difference when a woman would be violating that? Um. How, do you, how, how, do, how does our culture define it? Their, it's really simple. Veils solves it. For us, doesn't. I, I think it'd be really important not to do it if I take something away from the worship from other people. If I, if I do it and take something away from the worship from other people. If I know, I mean, what, what we're studying now, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought that way. And then 10 years before that, I wouldn't have thought Yeah. So I had growth in changing and, and where, I, where I go. So I want to make sure that I allow that growth from other people and don't demand that they grow at the pace that I think they should. So not force my rights. I can do this and I'll do it. If it offends or hurts you, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. No, that's not right. And I'm growing and learning along the way. That's why we're having this class because we care about those who feel uh, conflicted by by our practice here. Uh, we, our concern. Jesus said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." Our job is to reach out into the world, and we need to be aware that we don't put up barriers to the gospel. Okay. The sister who brought her her friend. She was the head of the women's uh, entrepreneurial. In, in, okay. We don't need to be putting up barriers to the gospel. She's. she's a PhD, that doctorate person, she uh, lectures all over the world, stuff, but she's a 
beautiful person, wants to study the Bible with her and so forth, uh, and uh, culturally to have the idea that somehow or another, if she happens to word a prayer or stands up and speaks in this group of Christians, there's, there's something wrong there. In other words, that's a barrier to her to the gospel. Is it, is it more important to make sure that when, when, the, when the praise team got up on the, on the up here, to me, there was a, at first, oh, that doesn't seem right, but that was, it's not my job. My job is to say, hey, this is, is, this, is, that's me, that's not God. And so we need to be concerned, who are we concerned about? Yeah, yeah, and I think you, you made a really good point. You, you have a woman who's like out in the world, incredible leadership roles, and then she walks in here, and it's like not in here. It's like, wow, why is there the difference? And so that's something to talk about. Is your hand up? Yes, makes me think of the scriptures that say that we ought to consider others more important than ourselves. We ought to think of others more important than ourselves. That passage comes to your mind. Paul said, if eating meat would cause my brother to stumble, I'll not eat meat. It's the attitude that we, of us not demanding what we can do or, show, or showing an attitude. Yeah, and you sure feel like, is that not... Does that what you see in chapter ten? Is does that not flow into chapter eleven? Is that that attitude? It, 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 attitude was that not at play? Um, so I, I always remember when I was at a church in Nashville, and this was—I don't know if you're familiar with churches in Nashville. Belmont was the Church of Christ that was always pushing the envelope. And one time I was there, I was very young. I'll never forget this. Uh, this is when women barely did anything ever, but. At Belmont, you could. She got up in front of everyone. She put a veil over her head, this scarf-like thing, and she read a passage. I can feel it today, the humility and submission spirit that that showed. So even though we don't do veils today, that showed it. Um, I hope, I don't think Laureen would mind, but Laureen does benedictions for us here and with short hair. <laughs> no covering. And usually in pants. But when she does it, I, I feel a humble, beautiful spirit. I do not feel a, a, a violation of this passage. I, I feel her living out this passage. Uh, it, it, that Sure, there, there's words of God because that's what these prophecies were. And there's scripture she shares and thoughts. But, there's, but there, have you ever seen a woman carry herself in a similar setting, and it's all the opposite of that. So there's something in our culture that tells me that. I feel that. I, uh, I, I sense that. But so here, here's the point I think that's really important. Just because a woman speaks, that doesn't automatically mean that she's leading in authority. I think we need to get that out of our minds that because the mouth opens and words come out in the church, it doesn't mean this person is leading. And maybe this, our semantics, the way we say it is, would you lead this prayer? Oh, now this person is leading me. Or would you lead this song? Um, could we say a prayer? Um, it, it is praying an act of authority over someone else. I always remember when I was at a church camp in Slovakia, and uh, Slovakia, <laughs> yeah, we have a common 
life uh, experience in Slovakia. We were, I was at a church camp in Slovakia, and there were a group of, uh, there were a group of, um, of um, college-age students, all three from Košice, where you used to work, Vail. So this is really connected. The three of them were talking, two boys, one girl. And they were talking about a disagreement they had about something biblically. And I believe the two boys had this opinion, the one girl had this opinion, and they were going back and forth. She was trying to convince them of what she believed the Bible said. And they were just talking outside at the camp. And then, when they were over, they, they decided to pray, and all three of them prayed together. They didn't realize that she wasn't supposed to pray. And um, the missionary came up to them and corrected her for praying. Why? Was it okay before that time when they're talking together? Why was it okay for her to be trying to convince them of something biblically? But the moment she started, and was God not there and listening? Was he not participating? But the minute she said, God, I love you, that can't do that because that's taking authority over those two guys. Just because you're speaking, does it necessarily mean um, that you're taking authority? We even in our practice, we even in our practice of singing, there are times when the men are quiet, the sopranos are singing, and the song that they're singing, and most of the time the sopranos are girls, um, you know, the song that they're singing is a prayer to God and we men are listening while the women are praying that's okay because it's not talking it's singing a prayer but so, so um, and there, there are multiple examples of that but the problem wasn't that they were speaking in the church in Corinth that's not the problem it was how they were doing it and we start saying, oh my goodness, you go with that. Next thing you know, we're going to have women elders or women uh, in, in, the, in the role of Eddie as the preacher. Well, wait a minute, we're not, we're not getting rid of that authoritative structure. We're just saying women, as you carry out your role, recognize that. Okay? Um, yes. Yeah, even, even then, that's, that's the point. Even then, if, 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 I hope Laureen doesn't mind this, even as Laureen in her such beautiful, humble spirit, uh, she's doing what her elders start telling her to do. And, and she's doing it with humility. But now I've, I've seen some women, there's one on TV, I thought, my stars. Uh, she's, she's, she's in charge, large and in charge over everybody there, you know. Um, Carl? Eddie, one time before uh, at a, at a church service, a man prayed, and he prayed that we as a church listen to brothers so-and-so's lesson today because he is bringing us the very words of God. I mean, the way he said it is, brother, I mean, if, if, if you say it, who are we to question? Why take notes? Why open your Bible? Because you have the authority to tell, speak for the church. I don't see that in Scripture. They question Paul, you know, the Bereans. And the other thing is, how in the world is praying having authority? And to me, the idea that I as a man have to be able to know the hearts of women and understand the meaning of the church and say the right things for the whole body, but a, but a woman can't, can't do that. That is not, that's speaking to, to God about our needs and not authority. Yeah. If, if leadership, the church, elders want... Uh, ask, uh, you know, we all to pray tonight at the closing prayer, various ones of the women we prayed, 
would be honoring God, not taking some kind of authority. Right. But so, so there's, that's allowed, evidently, as long as it's done in the proper manner. Clear to me, women were given by God a gift of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, and also praying, meaning to speak on behalf of God, which also included speaking in the presence of men, but were instructed to use this gift in a manner that showed respect to the distinction and roles of men and women as established by culture and by God. That's how I understand 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, yeah, but... What? Yeah, but... This is your chance. I got four of them. Yeah, but... And it's okay to have a yeah, but. We should. It's okay to... No, no, Eddie said it. It's all right. I don't know if this was a yeah, but. But one time, it was explained to me that submission... One definition of submission is to voluntarily rank yourself under someone being fully aware and conscious of the structure which God has set up. Okay, so let's, let, let me repeat that. <laughs> you, you understand submission is voluntarily rank yourself under someone being fully aware and conscious, being fully aware and conscious of the structure. I sense that structure in this passage. I do. Yeah, good. I think that's a good definition. But... But Eddie, I've convinced everybody, all right, well, let's have Alice close us in a prayer. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Jeff and then Benita. We're distinguished, we're, we're no, we're, we're stumbling over dis- principles. And the manifestations, okay. The principles are eternal, eternal, but the outworking of the principles may differ according to culture. As long as those principles are maintained, I think I agree with that. We can't abandon those principles. So, but they vary from culture to culture, so we don't wear veils. But we still carry ourselves with the principle. But I'm going to give you four yeah buts. You guys had your chance and now still you can jump in. Oh, you got a yeah but. If it kind of goes with what he said, how do we implement it? Yeah. It's really huge. Because in our culture, we kind of have this, okay, we have the, even our congregation so military influence. It's like the top made a decision. How do we implement this? And we have that military Mindset that flows into us. And one thing I've learned from Alan's class that he just had, but also from being in so many different cultures, is we are just not very good at um, consensus building. We want things done quickly, immediately. Decisions may do it. And a lot of other cultures don't struggle with some of what we do because they take a long time consensus building and implementing things and we don't like doing that we're very microwave we like doing things quickly yeah well there's a church that I'm familiar with that are making a lot of changes and a lot of the people don't disagree with the changes but they struggle with the microwave process to which that church is leading them bring us along here and respect how we're feeling help us do what we're doing tonight Um, yeah but yeah but 
1 Corinthians 14 says they need to be silent. It's like, yeah, but remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak. But now listen. They must be in submission. There's that character issue. But you say, but you, yeah, but a woman should learn in quietness, full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority. So like, we got to go to 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2 because they'll sound like direct contradictions to 1 Corinthians 11. They aren't. Yeah, but here's another one. And if we have time, we'll look at it tonight. But the one, most important one I want to make sure we cover. Eddie, you, you put a lot of emphasis on women were praying and prophesying in the assembly and they weren't told to stop they were just told how to do it appropriately but we know in 1 Corinthians 13 it says there was a time when prophecy ceased so that no longer applies that argument hmm you brought that up I think actually um, but here's the yeah but I want to really talk about because it's mentioned it's uh, writers use this one a lot or mention this one um, this isn't the assembly it's talking about here First, uh, uh, first Corinthians 11, 2 through 16 is not speaking of men and women together in the church assembly. Yeah, verse 13, doesn't it say when we come together as a church? It actually uses that phrase in 13. Verse 13? Well, I haven't looked, but I know when I was studying this years ago, one of the things I was seeing was it actually said in one of the things, when you come together as a church, this is how you should act. Yeah, and so here, here's the argument. The, those, those who will, well, yeah, I, I, it's going to be in 17, I think is what you're thinking about. And was that, that's where their argument is drawn from. Um, while those who would say no speaking here in this room on Sunday mornings, while they, they would say that, they would agree, okay, yeah, in the first century church there was there were women praying and prophesying and the instructions he gave we agree with those they need to respect the this authority of structure they need to wear the veil but this wasn't in a church service men weren't present when they were doing this so that means it was like the 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 titus 2 4 and 5 where women were teaching women uh this were you know women's retreats ladies bible classes um or some will say that was the private setting. It was a private setting where women were praying and prophesying. So that point you're making that women in here could pray and prophesy, that's not really valid because this, that text is not speaking about the assembly. And my proof to you of that is, Eddie, is chapter 11 and verse 17. He says, he, he's, he's making, he's working his argument through there. And verse 17 says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. There's your passage. And so now he's getting ready to start speaking about meetings, meaning beforehand he wasn't speaking about their gatherings, their meetings. And beforehand he was speaking about women praying and prophesying. So the point is, the speaking about women and praying and prophesying was not in their meetings. That's the point. So what, what about this assembly thing? What do, what do you say about that, Barry? Uh, a couple of things. The first thing you said was that if it was all a group of women, that kind of doesn't make sense about what Paul's talking about. It doesn't, does it? About taking authority with all women, then you don't have the, the men-women authority issue. Why give the instructions? Okay, women, you need to be respectful and be and regard the relational roles of men and women. When there are no men here, it's just women. Then what's the point of the veil? What's the point of that? And there's another 
So that's one point, and I agree with that. Did you understand that? Why, why make this point if women aren't, men aren't there? We're making artificial distinctions about what happens here at 10.10 compared to what happens over there at 9. There are different rules. Wait a minute, I got Jeff and I got Benita. Okay, so what's your point? So Jeff is saying, he was talking about these women praying and prophesying. Now he moves into talking about uh, the Lord's Supper. And so your point is? Is is a counterpoint to what you were saying about they were obviously in separate places. And now they're coming together for for assembly. So the men were separate from the women. But it couldn't have been because he's talking about the Lord's Supper now. and, And that's totally different. And, or, and so this is kind of like getting to what Barry was saying to a degree. So there's rules for what you're supposed to do when you have the Lord's Supper, but not when you're having the Lord's Supper. Uh, we, we've kind of de- determined what the assembly is. Uh, here's what's interesting about this passage. It says this is not the assembly. And we, we, we qualify or we define assembly as that which has the Lord's Supper. That's a church service which I'm not sure that's really correct of us to do, uh, to say that there's rules there that don't apply to others. But in chapter 10, he talks about the Lord's Supper. In chapter 11, he talks about women praying and prophesying. In chapter 11, he talks about the Lord's Supper. So he's talking about when they're together, and then he's talking about when they're not together, and then he's talking about when they're together again. (laughs) I I don't think that's the flow there. Um, Benita, your hand up went really quickly when, we, when I talked about Sunday school compared to church service. I want to totally agree with Barry on the artificial distinction, but I want to take it from another way because if women have the gift to teach... Women have the gift to teach. And the only time they feel like their gift can be used is this one hour on Sunday morning. That's not really their gift. There's an attitude problem then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so some people say, I can't use my gift because if I can't use it in here, I can't use it anywhere. And so you wonder, it's more perhaps some pride at play there. Um, so so I, I disagree that this is not speaking of the assembly, and here's why. I believe it's forcing into this passage what's just not there to fit what I already believe. I just, it's, it's clear. It's talking about men and women together. Um, secondly, I, yeah, so I believe that it ignores the direct context and it ignores the larger context. The Lord's Supper is all over. If we allow the Lord's Supper to be, there's the assembly. Um, do you think it's the assembly? What do you think? I, I, I was going to give you my answers. Um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he speaks of women praying and prophesying. In chapter 14, three chapters later, he says prophesying. He says prophesying. He defines it as... The one who prophes- uh, anyone who speaks in tongues, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Any, um, 
The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so it's, it's not a private thing. It, it's to the church. Um, why would they give these instructions in chapter 11 of how to behave in the presence of men if men aren't present? Why, why would they do that? Uh, why tell women to show regard for their relationship to men when they're praying and prophesying if men are not there? Now, so, so here's my question. Are, are we on, what, what is the assembly? What defines an assembly? Biblically speaking, and what are the rules for the assembly that apply there but not at other places? Carl? Is there a basis for a church service like this where all a group, group gather together and you have the... Uh, uh, later on in church history, you have the clergy, the laity, and the, I mean, the clergy and the uh, structure of the church. But how many of these, uh, would this only apply in what, home churches? What if, how many, what if there's five families? Well, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. You're talking about home churches. Why is it, Carl? Why is it? And biblically speaking, where do we stand? Why is it in a life group we can do this? Why can we do this tonight? And speak and talk and women can interact and women can talk to me and even try to change my mind. That's allowed tonight, but it's not allowed Sunday at 1010. Why is there that, dis that distinction biblically? Scott, one po possible answer to that question? Okay, so did, you, did, you all, did everybody hear Scott? I was just saying that say, in the, this is a house church setting in the New Testament. And so it was, it was like the life group casual. There was not the feeling of authority being violated or not. But in a, in a larger assembly like this with a stage, if a, if a person stands there, there's that difference in feel. Okay. We've inherited from the medieval Catholic church in the Reformation and the, uh, the churches, Protestant churches, kept the uh, structure of the, uh, and so we, we've inherited a structure and a, a traditional as to what church is. Right. And is the same way people say going to the church, church building, whether they ever went there. Or my, my my concern is similar to that, and to what Barry was saying, that it's kind of like this is what really got on Jesus' nerves was. There are these principles you were talking about, the Sabbath principles, but we got to make sure we get this right. So let's make some further laws and guidelines that of when it's right and when it's wrong. And all of a sudden, we're missing the whole heart of it. And I feel as though uh, it seems very inconsistent that Matt and Leela can teach in that classroom but they can't stand here. Somebody left one Sunday because of that. They were okay with Matt and Leela teaching a class of 80 to 90 people, but as soon as Matt and Leela spoke about marriage here, they left. And as a matter of fact, I visited them during COVID, and their church service was watching a Baptist woman teach the Bible. And that was okay. It's like, because that's not... On Sunday morning, when you're having communion, in the building, on the stage. And I'm feeling like, are we creating rules and guidelines that the Bible hasn't created, Benita? Well, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Because, again, we've got to allow, we've got to be able to come together at different stages. Good point. And when we do it here at worship, and, oh, okay, let's just throw it out there. We know we're all thinking it. We know we're all what? 
we know we're all talk, thinking this. Ta a woman saying a prayer at the Lord's Supper. If I take something away from someone's experience because they're at a different stage, why would I do that to them if I love them? And if you, we don't want to do things here that because if they choose to come and you take away the fact that I can't come and worship because that's happening, that's different than when they're teaching a class. But what if that offends you in the class? class. I can choose to go to the class. But, but you can't choose to it if, if it's... Other than I can't worship with you. Yeah, That's yeah. Really breaking my conscience. Okay. So we have got to love each other enough to allow a movement and a consensus building. Okay, I'm but not... I, so then on the flip side of that, you have folks that it hurts them and burdens them because that's not allowed. And so they're offended because we don't allow it. Others offended if we do allow it. It's a difference between when you come into a church and what's going on there at the church at the time and the changes that happen. Mm -hmm. So when you come into a church and there's a certain amount of things happening, you don't walk in and say, hey, you need to be doing it the way I want. You need to change right now and get going. And But at the same point, you... you I think that's the difference. And that's why we have this class is say, hey, look, we want to explain this to you because we really care about how you feel. And we don't want to just railroad train, freight train over your heart. Barry? My comment was going to be similar to yours, Eddie, and I do agree with Benita. You don't go in, you know, you don't place membership in a church and then immediately start trying to change things. That's any more than you get married and you immediately start trying to change your It never works. But... Uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a sense, I guess, that, and, you know, I was, I was looking around the room earlier, and I'm thinking, okay, I, if, if I'm not wrong, Sarah and Jordan are probably the youngest people in this room. Well, I don't know, Kara, are you younger than Sarah? So, Barry, I'm not repeating what you're saying. I'm so sorry. Barry's agreeing. Uh, um, she's saying, oh, we're, okay, I, I can't remember everything you said, so let's just start from here. You're looking for the youngest person, and you've identified Sarah, whose birthday is next Tuesday, everybody. Don't forget that. <laughs> Coming Tuesday, 34. I'm Ooh, concerned man. that in our And it's a cha challenge leading a church. Leading a church where, um, here, here it is. Here it is. In the name of not offending, in the name of loving and others and keeping unity and not making people feel uncomfortable, we, could we be losing a number of people because of guidelines that we're following that don't make sense to them or don't even feel comfortable, you know. So I think I was saying that with Benita. We have some who they prefer to have no women doing anything, and so let's not have women doing anything. 
And so they'll stay. And others leave because that offends them. So we got a fence on both sides. How do you, what do you do about that? Richard? So I've talked to this before, that I believe a woman can be gifted to be president of the United States and be the best president ever. A woman can be gifted to be the president of the United States and be the best president ever. And when she comes to the church, an elder has to be the husband of one wife and three children. There's no movement on that. And so are there certain things that we're moving because we want to move and the elders the only thing that's stable or what flexibility do we have to change things? Mm -hmm. I, I think we have flexibility only granted to us in scripture and beyond that we don't have flexibility. And so I would agree with you. We're, we're not talking about the assembly now. We're talking about the elders and leaders and, and, and I think it's quite interesting. Deborah was the president and judges but the spiritual leaders in the temple were priests so there's a distinction there so it's, it's not saying women aren't incredibly gifted but there's for some reason there you see what you see about elders you see what you see about priests you see about see about the 12 disciples is that this order it's not equality it's about function and role am i Okay. But is a man, so is there a principle? Uh, there, evidently, there is a principle, but is a person speaking necessarily violating that principle? That's what I'm asking. I, don't, I believe 1 Corinthians 11 is saying you can, a woman can speak and not be violating that principle. That, that's, it, it, am I making sense? It's, it's, so that's, that's my point about the pattern. I'm afraid we've done the very thing that Jesus hammered the Pharisees for is we've created tedious laws and restrictions to, out of a sincere heart to get it right to the point that we've, we've lost some big principles there. Uh, it's 7.30. There's a whole bunch more to say. Um, we're going to move on to 1 Corinthians 14 next week. What's that? <laughs> women were uh, but I will I do want to say this discussion is not moving to and therefore women should be elders that's not the point of this the point of this is evidently a woman can speak in the presence of men in a gathering of worship and that's where Scott you and I are going to struggle to disagree but I don't see a distinction between this building or the culture defines that and that, that's where you just leave it up to your elders the elders it's a subjective call on the elders and you just respect their leadership or say you know what that's just not you know within my comfort zone but I think it's a decision the elders make but I, w I would conclude this passage with saying women were allowed instructed to pray and prophesy and speak in the presence of men, whether in or out of the assembly, but it was to be done in humble, respectful, submissive manner, recognizing the presence of men and their role of authority given to them in God's established divine order. That's what I, I see in this passage, and there's so much more. There's so much more here, but if that's true, then that's going to influence how we understand, but they have to be quiet when we go to 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, and Richard Cooper has the final word. I see this a little bit like uh, how Paul talks about slavery. 
Okay. Yeah. Culture, cultural shift and, 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 and respecting that and recognizing it. And I think playing into what you said, Benita, is don't just force and shove stuff down people's throat. Respect them and, and let, let's not put this in a microwave overnight. I think that was a good analogy. Um, so if, if, if what I'm telling you, and I believe it is true, that women did have this permission to, to speak and to pray in these ways, how do you understand 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2? Please look at 1 Corinthians 14 and come back and help us figure that one out. Okay, that's what we'll do next week. Let me pray. Father, um, we take these words that we've looked at in Scripture and the discussion that we've had, and we pray that you'll take it and guide us with your wisdom. We really care about being a people who honor you and honor your word and live and practice and believe as you have guided us. That's our desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.